Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that when we walk through hardship and difficulty, you're there with us, Lord. Thank you that when we walk through adversity and trials and suffering, God, you're not absent. You're with us in it, Lord. We thank you for your presence, God. What a gift it is, Lord, to know that you are with us when we're under pressure, when we're in the fire, when we feel like we're drowning in the water, God. Thank you that we have a Savior who is with us in the hardship, in the difficulty of life. God, I thank you that that's true for everybody this morning who has called on the name of Jesus, who has invited Jesus to be their Savior. And Lord, I pray today, God, that we would just have a fresh understanding of your your focused presence in our life, God. God, so often we live day to day and we don't see you in it. But God, I thank you, Father, that you are intimately involved because we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we belong to you. And so God, I thank you so much for your goodness today. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. The source of inspiration for that song that we just sung, Another in the Fire, comes from a book in Daniel in the Old Testament. You can sit down in the Old Testament. And um, really the premise is this, is three people uh, found guilty of really seeking to obey the edicts of the Lord and so are put into a furnace as a source of persecution and a source of execution. But the amazing thing is, is when they looked into the furnace after putting three men into the furnace... They, say, they see a fourth figure emerge in the fire. Isn't that awesome? Now, who do you think that fourth figure is? Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came and died on the cross, in the Old Testament, there was a, there was a, a vision of Christ. And where was the vision of Christ found? In hardship and difficulty. Like, this is the amazing thing, because sometimes we can't see it for ourselves. You can't see it when Jesus is deeply at work in your life and maybe you just feel like you're being burned or maybe you feel like you're drowning with all of the challenges and hardships. Let me tell you this morning that there are angels looking at your predicament, at your circumstances, and they're not just seeing one figure in the furnace. They're seeing two. Jesus by your side. Honestly, yeah, give the Lord a round of applause. Come on. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know how non-Christians navigate this thing called life. I don't get it. You know, I've been accused before that Jesus is a crutch to you, and I'm like, dang sure he's a crutch to me. I'm struggling to live life here. I need Jesus. I need his help. I need his grace. I need his power. I need his love. And so this morning, that's the context that we render our hearts to the Lord. We say, Jesus, we thank you that you are the other in the fire. We thank you that you are the one holding back the waters, even though it feels like we're drowning, even though it feels like we're suffering. We thank you, God, that we can know your presence in the midst of our hardest day. He's a good God, isn't he? He's a good God. He's a good God. We're going to jump into the Word of God together. And it's great that you're with us this morning. We love to see you in the room. So good to see you. And to those watching at home, playing. No, it's good to have you at home watching in with us at the Hub as well. Great to have you with us at the Hub and those at Church Hereford and wherever you're watching this broadcast, we give you a warm welcome to Sunny Hill Church this morning. Didn't Colin and Joe do amazing? Aren't they amazing people? I love Colin and Joe. They're absolute legends of the faith. 
Absolutely amazing, guys. Um, well, it's good. It's good. Good to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to continue our Church Defined series. Over the last six weeks, we have been looking at the Word of God. Sorted. Yeah, sorted. I'm cutting out. That's not sorted then. All right, just put my batteries in, Richard. Just right there, mate. That's good. I don't know if you just want to bow. That's fine. It's cool. I'm just saying. You know what? There was another in the fire. There's another in the fire, and it's To wrap, she's left church already. She's left church. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you can hear me at home. So if you didn't get the welcome, great to have you in the room with us uh, online, those in the hub, those at Life Church, and everyone else tuning in. We are landing our sermon series, Church Defined, because over the last six weeks, we have really been asking the question, what does Jesus, what does God, what does the Word of God have to say about the church? Because so often we just kind of get into the habit and the routine of doing churchy things. But what is it that God has in mind when he calls his people the church of Jesus Christ? Like when Jesus died on the cross, did he think that church would be reduced to a morning service on a weekly basis? Like that's a serious consideration, right? Like when Jesus kind of endured the suffering and torment and persecution and ultimately execution at the hands of the Romans, was he dying for a people who will go to church for 90 minutes a week. My hunch says, I don't think so. I think that Jesus was looking for a radical commitment of people, not just to say yes to church on a Sunday, but to say yes to the purposes of God, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so we've been asking the question over the last few weeks, God, what do you want church to be? Because actually, as the pastor of Sunny Hill, I'm really open. Like, let's mix it all up. Let's mess with everything. Because actually, what we want to become is the picture of the church that Jesus Christ died for. That's what we want to become. And we've looked at multiple kind of metaphors in the scripture. This idea of the, the church being the bride of Christ. Like this, that, 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 that we with the bridegroom, that we are in love with Jesus, which sounds weird to people who don't know Jesus, but it, it, it's true nevertheless that uh, also with a family of God, which speaks to our, our, our sonship, our, our childhood before a father God who made us. Uh, we've looked at what it means to be the body of Christ, as in the, the, the many parts of the body that are useful to God to, to demonstrate the work of Christ on earth. And we've also looked at the holy temple of God and the building of God. And over the last few weeks, really what we've been saying is, this is who we are in relation to Christ. Okay, we're his body, we're his bride. This is who we are in relation to one another. We're a family, we're a temple. But today we're going to look at who we are in relation to the world. Okay, and I know in the chats over the last few weeks, there's been some different debate and discussion saying, you know, the church is for more than just the people in the church. Right. And I get it. And it's true. But ultimately, if we don't get it right in here, we ain't got a chance of getting it right out there. And so we've got to get into this and we've got to get serious about it. So we've got to render our hearts to the Lord. Um, But today we're looking at the church being the field of God. Everyone say the field of God. It's weird. It's a weird metaphor. I find this possibly the weirdest one I've come across. And, and when I was talking to um, Adam about it, uh, Ferndown Campus Pastor, it was like, what do you even say about that metaphor in the scripture? Because what does it really mean? Well, today, I'm going to try and help you understand and the profound implications of what it means for the church to be the field of God. And we read it in 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your scriptures, and at home, if you don't have your scriptures, 
that's bad days, isn't it? Basically, if you're at home and you don't have the scriptures to hand, then that's bad news. But uh, get your scriptures. And what we read is Paul saying this to the church in Corinth. He says, we are God's fellow workers. This is in 1 Corinthians 3, verse uh, uh, 9. For we are God's fellow workers or co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. What is it that Paul is saying here? You're God's field, you're God's building. Okay, now let me help you understand something that, that you need to hold on to when you read the New Testament. Is we have this assumption that the churches in the Bible were smashing it. Okay, we think we want to be like the early church. And I, I get it when we say that, we want to be like the early church. But in practice, actually, the early church had some significant issues. One of them in the church of Corinth was that they were choosing their preferred leaders. Okay? So they were saying, ah, oh, I like Pastor Phil. He's my favorite. Put your hand up if Pastor Phil's your favorite. Hattie, get out right now. You're not invited here. You are not welcome here. Okay? So they were choosing their favorites. Like there was different leaders doing different things in the church. Key leaders, significant leaders. Paul, Apollos, Timothy. There was a number of leaders. James, uh, John, leaders. What, what we read in the scriptures known as super apostles. Super pioneers for the faith. Okay, and the church in Corinth, they were breaking into factions around which leader was their favorite. And I just think that's a horrible thing to do because think how Richard Garton would feel in that scenario. He'd have absolutely nobody in his faction whatsoever. Even in the nine o'clock service when I said, who supports Richard? Even his wife didn't put her own hand up. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, okay. But this is what we read in 1 Corinthians 1. It's kind of interesting. Paul writes this, verse 11. He says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, this is the church that meets at Chloe's house, they've informed me that there are quarrels among you. Quarrels in a church, really. Okay. Verse 12. What I mean is this. One of you say, I follow Paul. Okay. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. In other words, what had happened is the leaders of this early church in Corinth had been elevated to the same stature and profile as Christ. Like some of them were breaking out and saying, oh, I follow Paul. Oh, me, no, I follow Jesus. Now, to us, that sounds absolutely nonsensical. Well, I hope it does. But actually, I see a re-emergence of this in modern-day culture. This, what I would call the celebrity pastor syndrome. Like, it's funny, because we found it to a measure. Now, obviously, we're, we're not big players in the kingdom. But, like, even just broadcasting for the first year of lockdown, we would walk into the shop, and we would meet people who had seen us, and there would be this sense of, like, oh, you, you lead to Hill. Well, we've seen the broadcast online and in your height. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, and, and deck, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, good, awesome. Yeah, great. But Paul, Paul ain't having none of it. He's like saying, some of you are saying you follow Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, and some follow Christ. Paul is absolutely, goes to the utter ends to communicate. It's not about the leaders. Listen to what he says. He says, is Christ divided? <laughs> you know, like, imagine the Godhead, like, Holy Spirit is like, I'm back in Cephas right now. Of course he isn't. Or the, the Godfather, Father God, like saying, no, I'm back in Apollos in this season. No, is Christ divided? Then Paul says, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? In other words, Paul is saying, it's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Like in social media platforms, all sorts of ministries now, 
And it's not the preacher's fault, and it's not the leader's fault. It's as people, what we do is we gravitate to a version of Christ than Christ himself. Where people end up committing to following a preacher and sitting under the preaching of the word rather than the word itself. And Paul is trying to get to the absolute bottom of this with the church in Corinth because he knows that unless this is addressed, there is no good future for the church in Corinth. We read on in 1 Corinthians 3. Look, he picks it up again. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. He says to the church in Corinth this scathing remark. He says, you are still worldly. <laughs> like, I think that's, that, that's actually really brutal. Imagine if you received a letter or an email from a church leader that you admire. And it said this, you are still worldly. What it means is actually you're still thinking according to the world's way. Like you, you carry the same values and culture as the world. That's what it means. It means like you still have a, a fundamentally dysfunctional outlook on life because you're worldly. And, and Paul goes on, he says, you're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you, and listen to this, are you not acting like mere humans? Unlike Paul, they're humans. Is anyone else getting that? Paul says this, are you not acting like mere humans? Like, who are these? They're not aliens. They're not people. These are humans. Yet Paul is insinuating that as Christians, we're called to live next level. We don't think like the world thinks, church. We don't speak like the world speaks. We don't build relationships as the world builds relationships. We don't think about money possessions in the same way that the world does. We don't think about politics and our own biased interest the way the world does. And Paul is challenging this. Are you not behaving like humans when you quarrel in this way? Like the church of Jesus Christ is called to live next level? I find that profoundly challenging. In fact, you know, so challenging, I'm going to start using it when I parent my kids. I say, Caleb, why are you behaving like a human? <laughs> What's going on here? I just saw you punch Judy in the face. That's so human of you. Dad, I'm trying my best here. But you know, well, this idea that like, when you give your life to Christ, you, as I said last week, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Now you can't deny the Spirit of God by speaking like the world, acting like the world, thinking like the world. And I think to our shame in the West where there's the most liberty on earth to be free in our faith, we live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And I think what we're coming to now is a season where that's just not going to cut the mustard anymore. Where God is saying, all or nothing. You may be human in biology, but in the kingdom, you're a son and daughter of God. You live differently, you think differently. Paul goes on and he says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Let me tell you who Apollos and Paul are. They are amazing apostles, men of God. People who pioneered the Christian faith 2,000 years ago. The reason we're here today, church, is because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles. That's why we're here today, ultimately. Who is Paul? He's single-handedly responsible for most of the New Testament. 
Who is Paul and Apollos? Key teachers, influencers, and thinkers of millennia ago. Who are Paul and Apollos? That's who they are. But who does Paul say they are? Listen. What is it after all Paul and Apollos? Listen. Only servants. Wow. People who qualify to be recognized single-handedly as the key instigators to the expansion of the kingdom of God across the earth outside of Jerusalem. Paul says this, who am I? I'm only a servant. I'm only a servant. I'm only a servant. Humility is so crucial to the purposes of God. To understand that as believers, what we're to do is to place ourselves under God's mighty hand. And to say, God, I don't know what it is you've called me to do necessarily, but I tell you what, I'm going to find my lane and I'm going to fulfill the calling on my life for your glory. Now, when a handful of people in church get that, just a handful, that changes everything for the district and where the church exists. Even if it's only five or six. As I said last week, it's, I've lived with so long with this mindset of the bigger, the better. And Jesus is driving home this point of the better, the bigger. You become more like Christ, there's no limit on what God can do through you. But it's ultimately paramount that you live with an understanding that you are a servant and not a king. You are a servant and not a master. Jesus is the head of the body. We are the body under the head. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. Father God is the father. We are the children. We are the temple. Jesus is the high priest and the sacrificial lamb. You see what's happening here. We're understanding that under Christ there's potential, but so often we come away from that and we try to make a name for ourselves. And Paul even here is saying, who are we? Who is Paul and Apollos? Only servants. I've got to move on, otherwise we're going to get stuck. And then he says, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. In other words, we're just fulfilling the call on our life. Verse 6, I love this bit now. This is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Where does growth come from? God. Where does increase come from? God. Increase in the church, increase in your life. Where does blessing come from? God. And Paul understands that we have simply been fulfilling the calling on our life. I sow, Apollos waters, sometimes I water, sometimes Apollos sows. Ultimately, they're teaching the word, they're scattering the seed, but it's only God that gives the increase. So when we're looking for growth in our life, when we're looking for growth in the church, where should we look? God. Where should we be seeking? Father. We should be saying, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seeing the kingdom expanded into every sphere of society. Let me tell you, is the world needs a church that is living to that end. Not just a group of people that congregate on a Sunday. Don't mishear me. I love this. I love this. I love seeing your face. Most of your faces I love seeing. At least 50% of them are great. And now I'm only seeing 50% of them because you've got a face mask on, so it's even better. So seeing like... I love seeing you, and I love gathering, and I love worshipping the Lord together. But if this is it, then Jesus, Jesus may as well come back now and take us to heaven. If this is the extent of what Jesus had in mind, then let's go to heaven. I'm all good. 
but we know that there's a plan and a purpose on the church in order to impact the world. We know that. And so Paul says, Iso, Apollos waters, God makes it grow. Verse 7, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, gosh, but only God who makes things grow. Paul, Apostle Paul, legend, poster boy of the early church. I'm a nobody. This morning I saw Kevin Clark. I love Kevin Clark. Don't you love Kevin Clark, for those who know him? He's such an amazing, just an amazing man. I remember when he came to faith through the football ministry a few years ago. This morning he was praying in our pre-church prayer meeting. And, and I love the way he prays because he makes God feel real. <laughs> what I mean by that, it's not ceremonial and it's not religious. It's like an ordinary guy relating to his dad. It's amazing. And as he was walking away, I said, Kevin, I, I flipping love you. This is important because it speaks to how much I really... I mean, I love... No, I flipping love him. Kevin, you're amazing. And he says, I'm just a nobody. That's what he said. And I don't know if he was expecting me to say, no, Kevin, you're amazing. I said, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you're a nobody. Now, I wouldn't normally say that, but because my heart has been invested in this word this week, I think it's really apt that Kevin has understood something fundamentally. And it wasn't a false humility. It wasn't like a, oh, no, it wasn't me, it was the Lord kind of scenario. I remember once when someone preached at church. They don't come to this church, but they, uh, as a woman came. And I said, oh, that was amazing. And she said, it, was, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. And I said, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> like, God, let's bring it down a bit. God, don't say it was Jesus. I mean, that's, that's a high bar, isn't it? It wasn't me. It was, it's like when people, like, you know, give you a 10 or something, say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. I was like, that's weird, because it looked like you put it in my hands. I get the sentiment, but just let's cut away with the drop a little bit. I say, no, it's cool. But like Kevin was just like, I'm a nobody. And I'm like, absolutely right. And isn't it amazing that we're a nobody, but God uses nobodies, and we become somebodies, but not in our own strength and in our own ability and competence, but because we've simply adopted the posture of humility and said, we're servants. If we could have more of that mentality in the church of Jesus Christ, that's a game changer. Not people who want to be served, but people who live to serve. And we see this in Corinthians because, you know, Paul goes on, and we're getting to the metaphor now, 17 minutes in, we're getting there. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will be each, I'm looking for my hanky just to wipe my brow, and I nearly did it with my face mask, and that would be grim. I'm going to do it anyways, there we go, boom. Ben, do you want a face mask, mate? (laughs) Okay, no judgment at home, whatever, just click the X button, whatever, right. Okay, for we are God's co-workers, he said, no, let me go, verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, okay, they have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. Verse 9, for we are God's co-workers, Paul's saying, me and Apollos simply just do the work of God, and then he says, you are God's field God's building. So this is where we see the metaphor applied to the church in Corinth. Paul's saying, we are God's co-workers, but you are the field. Now, that to me doesn't sound like a rally cry. I don't, I don't get excited when I hear that I'm a field. I just don't get excited. I'm like, whoa, yeah, we're a field, man. Like when you tell me I'm a child of God, I'm like, whoop, whoop, I'm in for that. You know, when you tell me that like I'm an heir, I'm like, yes, please. When you tell me like I'm a temple, I'm like, yeah, or a big, strong structure, I'm like, yeah, come on. 
All the army of God, I'll take that. Field, what are you talking about? I mean, it's better than bride, because bride is a little bit less easy to get behind, you know. Woo! Um, but field of God, it sounds so passive. But let me tell you what the church in Corinth would have heard when they heard this letter read about them being a field. What they would have known is that what Paul is saying is you're a place of potential. You think about it pragmatically. What does a field represent to a farmer? Growth. Potential. We miss so much of some of the profound parables and teachings of Christ because we don't understand the agricultural kind of components to make a helpful application in Scripture. But when Paul says, you are the field, what he's saying to the church is, you're a place of potential. You're a place of growth. Because what a field represents is a place where cultivation happens and a harvest is produced. You're a field. So when the people are listening and thinking to growth and potential, what else are they thinking when they hear Paul say, you are the field? What they're hearing is understanding that fields represents a source of supply to the world around it. If you're a farmer, you, put your, you, you sow your seed in the ground, you water it, you produce a harvest, and then you, you come and you reap the harvest, you bind the harvest, and you sell the harvest, and people eat from the harvest. And so the field becomes actually the original source of supply to the world around it. So what is Paul suggesting here? I also believe he's saying that the field is to be a resource to the world. Did you hear that? The field is to be a, a house of supply to the world that is experiencing lack. We exist not just for holy huddles and praise parties because we'll get loads of them in heaven. We exist for the betterment of the world around us. We exist to become a place of nourishment and food and provision and supply to the world around us. Like us being here should affect them out there. I just love this idea that like with this field like at face value we're we're passive it, 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 you know because really it's the farmer who does the work right who who ultimately is god who is producing the stuff but like just this idea that there is potential here for us to become the people that god wants us to become so that we may be a place of supply for the dark and dying this is why i wanted to save this message to the last week because it's important that we understand that our faith ultimately is missional. Did you hear that? The gospel is a missional gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is this, is that Jesus came to the world, sent from his Father to, to live the life you couldn't live, to take on the sin you couldn't pay for and be redeemed from, to die a death that you were incapable of dying and then conquering the death, conquering sin and rising again on the third day and ascending to the right hand of the Father. So what is the center of the gospel? It's missional. Why? Because Jesus came. Yeah. Normally what we do is reduce mission to sending people to Africa or China or India or something. Like, oh, that's missionary work. No, no. Missional work is about people going to the world. Like, I'm all for sending people to different continents. But unless we can get to our street first. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if I can't impact my neighbor, how can I impact Africa? I'm not, I'm not decrying the global vision, because some people here are called to world mission. And we celebrate that, and we want to release that. There's people in this room I know are called to go to the nations. 
But there's more people in this room who are called to go to their workplace. And normally in church, I think the hardship is, is normally we make a big thing of missionaries, get them on the stage, pray for them, give them a grand, say, see you in a year, you know. <laughs> Shoot them, innit? <laughs> you know, we just want to bless you. No, no, no. See you if I have a great time in Sudan or wherever it is you're going. You know, see you, we're praying for you. Hey, keep us posted on the uh, emails, yeah. But actually, what would it look like if we started commissioning people every Sunday? Any postmans in the room? Come to the stage. Any teachers? God knows you need prayer. Come to the stage, right? Equa's up. I'm in for this. She knows what it's like to teach kids. Secondary school, oh, I don't know how you do it. Equa, there's another in the fire, okay? I just want to affirm that for you. There's another in the fire with you in that classroom. There's another holding back the waters. What would it look like, though, if we just started seriously doing that? Any civil servants, any policemen? Come to the stage. Lord, we pray that you would empower these people into the mission field. Any single moms, any stay-at-home moms who are going to the playground every single day, picking up their kid twice a day, the influence and impact and potential they have, come to the stage. Father God, fill them with your spirit because they need it to fulfill the mission of God outside the doors. And there's something profound about a mindset shift that understands that actually it's not just the few that go, it's everyone who goes. You see, on the one hand, as we talk about the field, what God put in my heart, and it was just one of those moments where I was like, yeah, I get it, Lord, was this term grow together. We've got to grow together. We've got to become strong as a unit, as a body, as a people. But for what reason? And to this end, look, Matthew 9. Matthew 9, we're going to just change tact a little bit as we come into land. Don't get too excited. I've still got 15 minutes on the clock. Okay, so when I say coming to land, don't think, yeah, piano time, let's chill out, nearly roast dinner time. It's not. I've still got 15 minutes, and I'm going to use every single one. In fact, I'm wasting them right now. Okay, Matthew 9. Face mask sorted. Matthew 9. Jesus speaks about the field in relation to the church. Again, this time, it's a bit of a dichotomy, because even though this was before Paul's kind of metaphor... I think we should pay attention to it because there's another kind of, what I see, picture of the way we relate to the field. Listen, in verse 37, chapter 9, Gospel of Matthew. That was a backward say of saying Matthew, chapter 9, verse 37. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, the harvest is ready. That's what it says elsewhere in scriptures. They are ripe, they are white, they are ready to be brought in. So that the issue isn't with the harvest. The harvest is good. The harvest is ready. I believe there is a harvest. I believe there's one coming. But Jesus says this, which sounds less exciting, but the workers are few. Everyone says amen to the harvest. Only a few say amen to the work of the harvest. It's true, isn't it? You want to whip up a Pentecostal church, typically, you talk about revival. You want to kind of put a bit of a burden on the Pentecostal church, you talk about work. Right? Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. There's loads of harvest to bring in, but the laborers are few. And then Jesus gives this great invitation. Look, in verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into whose harvest field? His harvest field. So we see this again. God's field. Okay, so Jesus is saying, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Now, what I think about this, and this is how my imagination works, is at this moment, I feel like as a disciple listening to Jesus say that, I'll be like, phew, (laughs) phew. And the reason I think that is because on the one hand, Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful, so there's a lot of harvest to come in, which is great. 
But then Jesus extends an invitation to say, pray and ask the Lord for workers of the harvest. For me, insinuating in my imagination is that the workers aren't already here. Did anyone else read it that way? A few of us, maybe. Like, think about it. At home, at the hub, in Hereford, wherever you are. Like this idea that Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out his workers. Like, okay, Jesus. So this is what the prayer would look like. Jesus, I pray that you would raise up workers in this hour because the world is messed up and the harvest is ready and ripe, ready to get in and reap. But Lord, would you bring the workers in? The problem is, is it's about sending workers out. How else do I say this? Is that like, if you look in the Gospel of Luke, I love how Luke is it? The doctor, a lot more pragmatic, okay? Puts it this way in Luke chapter 10. <laughs> Listen to this, it's so funny. The harvest is plentiful, verse 2 this is, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out works into his harvest field. Go! I'm sending you. Like lambs among wolves. <laughs> so like, any disciple in that moment is like, oh no, thank goodness, there's more workers to come first. You know, <laughs> before we even finish that prayer, just like, yeah, you're the one going. Ain't that funny? I find that funny. Because I, I don't like it. Like, I don't even like the way it ends. Like, it'd be better if Jesus says, go, I'm sending you like legends among losers. <laughs> yeah, cool. Right. Whee! With a little rap here and there. You know? But he says, no, I'm sending you. Equa loves my rap. <laughs> not. Um, says, like, go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. In other words, you may not come back from this. Who's in? You know, like in the West, we sometimes reduce Christianity to just like blessings and favor rather than work and sacrifice. Like, does there need to be another one in the fire if all my fire is having a fairly tricky day and watching EastEnders at the end of it? Like, it's a radical devotion to discipleship that Jesus is calling from his church. So he says, look, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Okay. Lord, would you send out workers? Go, I'm sending you. What? Like, I was hoodwinked by that. <laughs> like, literally. Like, it's also, like, this idea that maybe, maybe, I was thinking this even yesterday. I was thinking, what if the church is meant to be the solution to 99% of our prayers? What about that? What do you think to that? What if the church is called to be the solution to 99% of our prayers? Lord, would you just provide for this person because they're going through it right now? Jesus says, go, I'm sending you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Lord, help this family. They're struggling at the moment with this teenager, Josh Goldman, an absolute nightmare. And he's, you know, <laughs> fully off the rails, you know. He's constantly supports Man you and he hasn't got a hope and all this kind of stuff. Lord, would you just empower Ollie and her? Go, I'm sending you. You go and encourage them. You go and prophesy over them. You, you get a word for them. Go on, you go. It, it, it replaces this sense of like absolution, this idea that I'm going to just put it on cry, uh, put, put it on God, and, and Jesus in the next moment says, look, I'm putting it on you. Like how else to reframe this? is like we're waiting for a move of God, and God is waiting for a move of people. <laughs> like, 
I do, I do think about this because I think like, the, here's the dichotomy. is that On the one hand, we're called to be the field of God. And then on the other hand, we're called to be workers in the field of God. So we're called to receive the seed of the word and to allow it to take root and effect in our life and to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We're called to be the field, but we're also called to go into the field and scatter the seed uh, and water the seed and, and put in a shift for the kingdom. And this is the other word that God gave me because the first one was grow together. And then Jesus said to me when I read this, go together. But like, will we ever fully realize our going until we embrace our growing? Like, I think our ability to go is in proportion to our commitment to grow. Is this resonating with you today? Because it's really challenged me this week, especially as I've been looking at Church to Find over the last five weeks because it, it feels cool when we're talking about, just, do you want to be in the presence of Jesus, man? Yeah. And I want to be in the presence of people that I love and that love me. Yeah, and God wants both of those things. But on the other hand, God also wants me to be in the presence of pain. And in the presence of hardship and difficulty. And in the mess of the world. In the world, but not of the world. So I'm not worldly in the sense I'm being shaped by the world, because I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. But I understand that I am Christ in the world, to the world. Here's the cool thing, is that like for me, sometimes when you hear a message like this, our, our dreams just go to grandeur scale. Like we, we go, boom, what does it mean to be the next Billy Graham? Okay, Billy Graham, one of the most effective evangelists in, I'd say modern history, I'd say all of history. Millions have come to faith through the ministry of Billy Graham. Put your hand up if you've heard of Billy Graham, just so I can see. Okay, great. Billy Graham was a well-known evangelist and... Um, through the 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even 50s, to be honest, um, been around for years. He, he's died now. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But through his ministry, millions of people have been impacted. A real giant of the faith. In fact, I'd go as far to say that most of you in this room, somewhere in your history, like the reason you've come to Christ is because someone has come through a Billy Graham ministry at some point or been impacted by his ministry in some way. Like this guy, absolute legend. And so what we do is we go, ask the Lord of the Harvest to send out workers. And we do have Billy Graham type people. We've got one right there at the back, Israel Douglas. People with a mantle, passion and obsession to evangelize and to take the word of God out into the streets. And I applaud people like that and I, I love that. And like I'll support people like that. I'll do that with Israel now and again as well. But like sometimes we have a picture of someone like Israel or Billy Graham, and we go, that's, that's the standard. And I'm not trying to decry that, but all I'm saying is actually Jesus just wants to be your everything in every day. Some he has called to evangelize in that manner, but he's called everybody to evangelism. Do you understand? Some are raised to be evangelists. Everyone is called to evangelize. And so, dreams of Billy Graham... Like most of us have heard of Billy Graham. Let me tell you, nobody, or maybe just a couple in this room, have heard of Edward Kimball. Ben, do you want to come up? Because that does commit to land this plane, doesn't it? That means I've got 38 minutes left, so that would be great. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Edward Kimball. Can you put him on the screen? Edward Kimball was an ordinary guy in an ordinary church. 
Let me tell you what his calling was to God, what he was passionate about, was Sunday school. He actually had a real passion for Sunday school. And when I talk about Sunday school, I'm not talking about like what we do in Next Gen that's running parallel to service right now with the kids in there learning about Jesus. Sunday school was the thing that started before church and it was a way that the church were educating kids in the community, like how to read, how to write. So it was like an actual school before school was a thing. Okay, they kind of started it. Edward Kimball, like he was a teacher teaching kids English and stuff and he would talk about God, obviously. But like it was an academic kind of pursuit. But one day, God gave him a burden for a handful of boys that were in the class. And there was one in particular that was rowdy, that was tricky. A bit like Ollie Jackson over there, just like him. Just like him. The trick I'm playing is all right. That one who's melting there. You see him melting into the seat. Um, that's what I like. I like to just humiliate young people. It's just a great thing, isn't it, for church growth. Bring them in by humiliating them. Um, and Simeon, I've seen you there. Don't worry, I'm coming for you. I'll come for you before the end of the message. Okay, but, but, but like Edward Kimball's kind of an interesting one because God gave him a burden for this handful of boys that were quite rowdy. And he looked at one in particular that seemed to be the rebel kind of leader of the group. And he was like, right, I want to commit myself to leading him to Christ first. And so he, he, he did it in such a way that he just got invested into his life relationally. And like he would go to his place of work on a Saturday, which was a, a shoe store. And he would go to his place of work and he would just talk to him on his lunch breaks and any given moment just about Jesus. Say, listen, like, buddy, you need to give your life to Christ. Eventually, this young guy, he kind of yielded and just surrendered and said, okay, I'll give my life to Christ. And this young man gave his life to Christ in a shoe cupboard in the shoe store where he's working part time. Like the guy who gave his life to Christ is known as D.L. Moody, right? Isn't that cool? Put your hand up if you've heard of D.L. Moody. A few of you in here. Not as many as Billy Graham, but D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody kind of lit up two continents for Jesus, man. D.L. Moody was um, almost like the original evangelistic campaigner, D.L. Moody. Like he was the original Billy Graham. Hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ through his ministry in America and Europe and beyond. Like just an amazing man of God that came to Christ through this Sunday school teacher. Just a guy who didn't even do it as a ministry role. Just like... I feel called. That's my lane. That's what I'm going to do. D.L. Moody set up his uh, evangelistic campaign and started like doing things all over America and Europe. And then one day, a young man was invited by his grandmother to go to one of Moody's rallies. And that young man was Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman gave his life to Christ. And I need to speed this on, so I'm going to go a bit faster. He became an evangelist and decided that he was going to do something similar to D.L. Moody, but on a smaller scale. And he would just go around certain states in America just proclaiming the gospel, okay? And so uh, this Wilbur Chapman goes around and one day, <laughs> Billy Sunday shows up at one of his services. Now, who's Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday is like Justin Bieber now. Billy Sunday was like a prolific, famous baseball player in America. And his wife pestered him to go to one of Chapman's events, okay? One of his evangelistic events. And Billy Sunday goes and he encounters the presence of God and he surrenders his heart to God and he gets up a different man and a new man. And he's, what he feels he's got to do is partner with Wilbur Chapman, travel with his evangelistic ministry, but share his testimony at every opportunity he gets. Because people are going to listen to somebody who had it all in the world, but laid it down for God. And so Billy Sunday does that. Billy Sunday uh, lays down his baseball career and goes into the ministry, okay? That's mental, right? Until you know God. Billy Sunday then starts ministering and as he's sharing his testimony, 
a young boy who was invited to hear his testimony by his school teacher comes and he hears this testimony of Billy Sunday and he, all of a sudden the gospel relates to him because he's like, this makes sense for real people. And so this young man gives his life to Christ and he goes by the name Mordecai Ham. He's older there and you'll see why he's older there in a moment. Mordecai Ham was a, a, an absolute legend of the faith. But like, he wasn't like a stadium filler. He like had a touring bus thing that he would go to a town and he would like set up this bus and then just preach the gospel off the back of the bus. But one day somebody came to one of the events off the back of the bus, gave his life to Christ and who was it? It was Billy Graham. Billy Graham through the life of Mordecai Ham's ministry. Check this out. The Christian is to witness for Christ. Now how do you witness? You witness by the way you live. The smile, the courtesy, the thoughtfulness, the graciousness. You're witnessing for Christ. And if you live a changed life in which Christ is living in you and radiating out through you, other people will be attracted to you and they'll say, what's your secret? And you'll say, I know Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Isn't that awesome? See, maybe a handful of people are called to be Billy Grahams. But my hunch is, like me, there's more called to be Edward Kimballs. The one at the beginning of the chain who commits himself, and there was ones before him, but that's as far back as I can chase. The one who commits himself to reach the boys in his world. Billy Graham reached the world. Edward Kimball started with six boys in his world. There's this great quote, which I just love, and it, and it really helps us understand what I'm saying here. When it comes to the fruit in the field, listen to this, listen to this. You can count the apples on a tree. Like, like literally, like if, if you go to an apple tree, you can get your notepad, and it's possible to look at every single a- apple. One, two, three, 132, 130. I can count the apples on the tree but you can't count the apples in a seed. Do, do, do you get that? I'll say that again. You can count the apples on a tree, but you can't count the apples in the seed. Or let me say it like this. You can count the apples on the tree, but you can't count the trees in the apple. Like sometimes when it comes to fruitfulness, we look at the Billy Grahams and we go, no chance. But actually, if we understand the potential exists in just the sowing of seed. The example, the, 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 the potential exists as I walk with one person because even though I can only count that one person, I can't count the potential that exists in that one person who comes to Christ. I just feel that God is moving the church into a new season that, that is missional. But it, but it looks normal. Not weird. It's not about us hiring like the Vitality Stadium and filling it with like 800 people. <laughs> That's the Bournemouth Stadium, by the way. Well, how many it holds? 10,000, is it? 10,000 people. Or hiring Wim- Wembley and paying like, tw- I heard it cost 12 and a half million to hire Wembley for a day. 12 and a half million quid. I thought, bargain, I'm going to do that next week for Caleb's birthday. Brilliant. <laughs> Have a kick around in Wembley. It's only 12 and a half million. Now, I'm not against those big aspirations and ambitions, but I think the problem is, is when we look at those as the goal, 
We don't connect the dots for us personally as single moms, as guys who are working on the building site, as people committed to teaching in schools, but understanding that God has called me to be Christ in these places and spaces. And actually there's potential in the people that I'm living with and, and doing life with. And so that's my big encouragement today is that as a church, Church Defined, this is how we land the series, that we are committed and called to grow together, but we are also committed and called to go together. Go into the world. Go into the world. Share Jesus. Be you. Testify. Share your story with those who don't know Jesus. Last week, I had the privilege after church on Sunday sharing some of my story with somebody who visited church. And it's just cool because like, will something come of it? Maybe. Maybe not. But my job isn't to be the father. I'm just going to sow the seed. And as JJ gets up in a minute and just leads us in a refrain of shout to the Lord, he's going to water the seed. I can't predict or determine what's going to happen in here today. All I can do is scatter the seed, water the seed, but God will give the increase in that. And so if this message has resonated with you this morning, you should think, you know what? I want, I want God to use me in this way. I want, I want to be like Edward Kimball. Maybe you want to be like Billy Graham. That's great too. Awesome. Stand up. Let's go for it. But like maybe if this message has resonated with you in some way today, I just want to invite you to stand up where you are because I just want to pray for us as missionaries. I want to pray for us as people who are called to go into the world. And so, Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for everybody responding to this, Lord, in the room and those who are at home, those who are watching at the Hub or at Life Church, Lord. Father, I thank you, God, that you are calling us for such a time as this, Lord God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that like Paul was an apostle, but he was also a tent maker. Like he made tents and earned an income, but yet he was also the greatest apostle who ever lived, arguably. And Father, I thank you today, God, that it may not feel like we have much, but we have us. And God, we give you us. We give you our five loaves and two fishes, so to speak, and put them in your hands and say, Jesus, have your way through us for your glory. Help us to be a source of supply for the world around us. Help us to be a house and field of growth and potential for the glory of God. Father, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We ask, God, that your Spirit would be poured out on us, not just so that we can feel the warm and fuzzies, but that we can impact the world around us, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you call every single one of us who is willing to respond and say, I'm here, Lord, send me. And so, God, this morning, I pray for every person standing, teachers, postmen, civil servants, policemen, single moms, single dads, all of the above, every profession, every career, and just pray, God, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to go to a world and make Jesus known. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, shall we, and worship together.